Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline podcast. We record on Tuesday, November 22nd, as we recap a full weekend of Hokie sports, including a Virginia Tech football victory and the Charleston Classic. On episode 273 of the Tech Sideline podcast, we'll discuss how the Hokies were able to snap a seven-game losing streak and secure the win against the Flames, recap a stack of wins on the court followed by a heartbreaker to the home team Sunday night, and update you on the status of the Commonwealth Cup. All that and more coming up on episode 273 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you in, whether you are listening or watching on YouTube. If you are on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe while you're there, and also turn on the notification bell so you don't miss any future podcasts. want to let you know that this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast is presented by First Bank and Trust Company, who you choose to bank with can make all the difference in your overall experience. First Bank and Trust Company is the bank that puts you first. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. Let's introduce the crew for today. On set, we have Will Stewart, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com across the way. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for TechSideline to my right. Carter Hill is in the fourth chair. Nick Brown producing behind the scenes. And I'm your host, Katie Adams. This episode had so much potential to be one of my favorites after we got to enjoy Virginia Tech wins on the court Thursday and Friday on the field on Saturday. And then, unfortunately, Mike Young's group could not get it done, falling one basket short of winning the Charleston Classic on Sunday. Man, that would have been a hard episode to top. We'll cover it all, basketball, football, that stuff. But I want to start with the most current news and information that came out last night with the fact that the Tech-UVA game will not be played this year. Our hearts obviously go out to UVA, and I think I can speak for all of us when I say we completely understand this decision um, and we want them to do what's best for them, but it's definitely going to be weird sitting back on a rivalry Saturday and not having the Commonwealth clash. Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> this will be the first Thanksgiving week I haven't had to work leading up to a game and gosh, I, I don't know, 1996 or something like that. Um, like you said, uh, you know, completely understand whatever they want to do, whatever they feel is, is right for them. Uh, couple of comments and Chris back me up on this if I'm right or I'm wrong college teams don't actually start preparing for the next game until Tuesday generally speaking January. now uh, some teams I guess will take their off day on Sunday and then start practicing on Monday right. some teams will take their off day on Monday and have a light practice on Sunday the day after games I, that's how tech does it yeah so basically like to, to play this game this weekend UVA the teams would have had to started practicing today today right um so so they took you know yeah. about as much time as they could and and we were getting david's in the room we were getting very good intel on this and and it, it, it was gonna be moved to december 3rd two thirty. 
p.m. ACC Network. Mm-hmm. Went as far as putting it on the digital tickets. Yeah, yes. everybody noticed their digital tickets were changing in their phones, and then it changed back, and it just stopped, and this decision got made. And I uh, haven't had a chance to talk to David. I, I don't know that there's been any information about when or why or really who made the final decision. I suspect it's a UVA final decision, and I think it's the right decision for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I totally I, do, yeah. th- th- they didn't practice last week. I would assume that they've got one funeral on Sunday. It's a good chance the other two funerals are this week or this week. So you can't practice this week. So that's two straight weeks without practicing. Yeah. Even if you came back next week, and this is just from a pure football standpoint, even if you came back next week, you will have taken two weeks off. You're rusty. You're not a good team to begin with. And then is your heart, a, 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 is your heart even in the game yeah. at that point uh, after taking that much time off in, anyway? So I don't think it would have been I, – I, if I was put the shoe on the other foot, if that happened to Virginia Tech, I wouldn't want Virginia Tech playing unless I thought they had a reasonable chance to compete and win the game. And I, I don't think what, not practicing for two weeks doesn't give UVA a reasonable chance. And I'm not interested in – I'm honestly not really interested in beating UVA right now. I'm not interested in losing to I'm them either. I'm not interested in playing them. I'm not interested in losing to them either. So, yeah, that means I'm not interested in playing them. Yeah. Uh, and if we did play them, I would want a full-strength UVA. Uh, now, I hate it for all the seniors. Uh, obviously, I, I hate it for everybody at UVA, but right. from a Virginia Tech perspective, I hate it for the seniors. You don't get to have a senior day. I hate it for the local businesses. I mean, one, one of my friends runs a tech merchandise store in, ha- in town. I think it's six home games a year and and their biggest business days by far come when the town doubles in size yeah. six days a year yeah. and and they budget for that and so it's just unfortunate for for all the local businesses places like that restaurants bars things like that that this is big money making weekend for them and, and they're not going to get to have it so let's be clear about one thing here chris just talked about the pure uh thought of being able to play football whether or not you've practiced he just discussed some financial ramifications. These are just things we're talking about. It doesn't mean that that that's the entire lens through which we view things. It doesn't make us insensitive. These are just practical matters that we're discussing associated with this. I totally respect their decision. If I was them, I wouldn't want to play the football uh, No way. Game. I wouldn't have played it either. And the other thing to think about is that, you know, when, when you play football or really any sport, you have to have your entire team and your entire coaching staff 100% committed. So you go back to uh, the decision Virginia Tech made not to go to a bowl game in 2020. And again, Chris, back me up on this. Fuente said he put it to a team vote, and he said it was close. Well, Hamilton was on the podcast, and that's pretty much how he was. Was it what Hamilton said? Okay. So half of the team didn't want to play that bowl game. The other half did. You can't play a bowl game if only half of your team wants to play. Yeah. Similarly, I'm sure that some UVA football players want, and coaches and fans wanted to come together and make an effort, but certainly a large portion of them, perhaps a majority, perhaps a significant majority, didn't want to. Yeah. And in that case, don't do it. Yeah, uh, and we saw what happened to Tech in the bowl game last year when half the Tech team didn't want to play in that bowl game. So many of them opted out, and the rest of them, it's like, eh, our, we have a new coach, but yet he's not coaching us. And, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just not – playing football games where the players don't want to play in is a bad idea. And really just, bad and idea. And the results generally just leave bad taste in people's mouths. So I think it's the right decision. I think it stinks for everybody involved, but I do think it, it was the right thing. I don't know how we would have talked about the game. I would have felt bad making a prediction. 
Well, yeah, you, you and I, I think Katie and I were on the phone the other night, and I was like, listen, if UVA decides to play, I don't even want to predict scores. I don't yes, even no, really no, want to preview no. it. And I, I don't know how I would have written a post-game recap or a post-game analysis article right. when you don't even know how emotionally invested either team is into the game. Yeah. Like, how can, I, how can you really judge things? So uh, from all those standpoints, I'm, I'm glad they're not playing it. And if, and if this had happened to Virginia Tech instead of UVA, I wouldn't have wanted Virginia Tech to play it in this yeah. scenario. Yeah. So Brent Pry ends his first year at 3-8. and eight. The next time he will coach a game will be the ODU season opener next year and a, a chance to redeem that loss. But he did end his first season on a win. So shall we talk about it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Been a long time coming. Yeah, absolutely. First, a disclaimer, I didn't get to watch any of the game. I watched the um, very well-produced 22-minute highlight package that was on YouTube after the game. So that's I did not see that. Yeah. If you just look up Virginia Tech Liberty highlights, it was like the first thing that came up. Oh, but. see, I made the mistake of going to the ACC Digital Network and seeing if they'd done a condensed game, and they did not. I, I think I had saw something from the ACC Network, but, it, I mean, it was very short. It simply was not 22 minutes. So um, you were... Where were you this weekend? Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah, watching Columbia. I sat here on the set and I said, oh, it's not going to be a game. Tennessee's just going to steamroll them and the opposite happened. That was shocking. (laughs) That's the Spencer Rattler everybody thought they were going to get. That's a a South Carolina offense that scored 10 on Missouri and 6 on Florida. And then out of nowhere, they dropped 60-something on Tennessee. They were ready to fire their offensive coordinator, and then he scored. Now he's a genius. genius. Anyway, back to the topic. (laughs) It was a very fun weekend, though, but that's why I didn't get to watch the game. So if I miss anything, please chime in since I was looking at it at a different lens. Want to start offensively. Only scored 23 points this week, but it was enough to win. So we'll take it. The man that led the charge here, Jalen Holston. Three touchdowns on the day. How about the performance from him? What a shame he couldn't get one extra yard at some point during the game. There was a, there was a play where I thought he had a chance to break off early, and he just kind of fell down before he got tackled, and that's eventually what. Right, what I remember the one you're talking about. Yeah. He ran at the middle, you're like, oh, and then he tripped, and then he tripped right <laughs> before he was about to run over a safety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but at any rate, good to see him go out like that. I thought he ran really hard. Uh, three touchdowns in the game uh he and Kashawn King were a very effective one-two punch um so when I went to write my article yesterday I really started drilling down into the uh box score and and looking at some things and and it's fascinating you know you can 23 to 22 win and you can see you could see the uh the flaws in Virginia Tech's game you know we'll talk about Grant Wells in in a minute missing some open receivers you know but when you really start to dig into it, there's there's a lot to like about this game, and, and one of them is the rushing statistics. <clears throat> so the team ran for 59 carries, 176 yards. Eh, okay, three yards carry, eh, okay. Uh, first of all, that's actually a season high in rushing for Virginia Tech, which kind of surprised me. Um, I guess I haven't been paying attention. Six sacks for 64 yards and losses, you take them out. Four kneel downs, one at the end of the first half, three at the end of the second half for 13 lost yards. You take that out and you've got 49 carries, 253 yards and 5.2 yards per carry. Very solid rushing attack around which they built basically their entire game plan. You know, so it was, it was great talking about Holston. um, You know, he, he actually showed some uh, shiftiness on a couple of those runs, went in in the middle one time and ran around the corner. He forced three missed tackles. 
which is 30% of his total for the entire season. For the entire season, yeah, great. Jalen Holston in his fifth year, so you know he's been waiting for a day like this. He's now the third running back in the last 10 years to score three times in a game, joining Malachi Thomas, who we missed dearly, and Trey Edmonds. You mentioned Keyshawn King also got some involvement. I believe he had a crucial fumble in the fourth quarter, which we were lucky (laughs) to get back. It was right after Tech had forced a fumble. And I'm sitting there at Champs watching the game uh, with a friend of mine. And I said, wow, this is big because we're plus one in turnover margin uh, and we haven't turned it over yet. And they're they're really good at at forcing turnovers. As soon as those words came out of my (laughs) mouth, he dropped the football. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And fortunately, we recovered it. Well, both teams had an occasion where they escaped disaster. Liberty, they didn't muff a punt. They fumbled it. Who's that number three? Demarius? uh, I don't have my roster. Demario Douglas. Demario Douglas. Fielded the punt and then fumbled it on their 15-yard line, and they were. I, sometimes I'm struck by the fact that a punt returner can fumble a football, and two or three of his teammates are running at him and can recover it. Um, shouldn't you be blocking, facing the other way? You know, it's a simplification, but mm. but anyway, they got really lucky there, and Virginia Tech got really lucky that uh, Kings fumbled. Jalen, good job by Jalen Jones on the coverage too. Yeah. He had a good day as a gunner. Yeah. Yep. That was the only turnover, correct? Uh. Two, there two were two turnovers. There were two there fumbles. Fumble? Yes, uh, one was forced on the hit by Mansoor Delane and Kelly Lawson over there on the sideline, and then the Taiwan Ty- Garbutt sat oh, them inside I meant the that ten. We had turned the ball over. Oh, was oh that the no. only time? Well, we didn't turn it over. The Keyshawn King fumble. We didn't. No, they didn't recover. We jumped on it. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yep. Yep. Well, good. So yep. then, no so we were plus two in turnovers. Okay. And, and only had four penalties. And only had four penalties. So if you recall, going into this game, Liberty was one of the best teams in the country in forcing turnovers. Yes. Yep. They were also one of the worst teams in the country in turnovers and by their offense. Right. So, But we w- did not let them force any this week. And uh, maybe that's a little bit of the reason why we were a little gun-shy in the passing game. To yep. a certain extent, and we'll a get little gunshot. The passing game, <laughs> right. Chris. You said in your post-game article or your your write-up afterwards that the coaches put the players in the best position to win the game from a running game uh, perspective. But the passing game, it was a different story. The tight ends were more impactful than your all reliable and Caleb Smith and Jaden Blue. Yeah, we have. I think we had four catches by, by wide, wide receivers. Wide receivers, four by tailbacks, something like that. Or, so there were 14 completions. Anyway, it works yeah. out to just four catches by the wide receiver. And I don't know where Daquan Wright was lined up. Right. I know he's listed as a tight end. He That's had two true. catches. I don't know where he was lined up. Yeah. But um, Just thoughts on that. Oh, gosh. Um, word. I, I, I'll have an inside the numbers on the passing game later this week, I think. I think that'll be my, pro- my project for Thursday. I just think everything's broken. And I think if you replace Grant Wells... If the next quarterback is better, then it will be better. But the what's broken in it will still be broken. Um, I, I just I don't think they're doing a good job scheming guys open. And I know there's a couple times where Wells didn't see him, but that's just more Wells just not trusting the offense. Um, I don't think he trusts guys to get open because they so rarely get open that when he does see it, it's like oh my gosh, is this actually happening? And, and he's I think he's also a little gun shy about the pass rush. They, oh my god. Six okay. Sacks. So yeah, and Marshall, he was uh I want to say he was pressured on around 16% of dropbacks. Is that all? At Tech he's pressured about 25% of dropbacks. Yeah. So he's already in 11 games this year, he already he's already been pressured 30 more times than he was in 13 games last year at Marshall. So Tech's pass protection has been awful and their receivers 
aren't running as open as Marshall's receivers were on yeah. a general basis. I mean, I think the whole passing game is it needs to be corrupt. Yes, <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. Uh, I think it needs to be reevaluated and rebuilt from the ground up. Uh, if that means finding a new quarterback, that's fine. But recognize that the coaches that just selected Grant Wells from the portal and who selected Jason Brown, who couldn't beat out Grant Wells, they're going to be selecting the next quarterback too. So if they made a mistake with quarterbacks last year in the portal, well, they're 0 for 2, and now they're going to be going to the portal again. Are they going to get it right this time? And Brad and, Glenn is the passing game coordinator, correct? That's correct. But, but like, it's... I don't know. I just don't think I don't think there's an individual bad coach on the offensive staff. I just think when you bring three different coordinators in from different backgrounds, sometimes it all fits together right and it looks great. Sometimes it doesn't fit together at all, and and they struggle to make it fit together. Um, I, I just see very little route combinations that, that scheme guys open. Um, I think whoever you throw out there at quarterback in the current iteration of the passing game is going to struggle. I think some of their personnel decisions doesn't make sense. Daqu- remember Daquan Wright in the middle of the season? The passing game started getting better when Daquan Wright was playing, and he was catching a bunch of passes. He was catching two to four balls a game. I think one game he caught five. Yeah. And he was playing 30 to 45 snaps a game. And now, the last few games, it's back down to like 11 to, I think he had 18 snaps this past week, and that's his most snaps in the last three games. He had dropped down to like 11 the previous two games. So he had proven to be one of their, probably their second most efficient pass catcher behind Caleb Smith, and then they stopped playing him. So there's just a whole lot with the whole passing operation that is broken. Grant Wells might be one of those those things. Even if you replace him, those other things are still going to be messed up, in my opinion. So the whole operation needs to be rebuilt from ground up. We... You know, we've seen, we've all seen the Grant Wells highlight package from Marshall. He looks great. I, of course, I never sat and watched the whole Marshall game so I could compare how he plays here to how he plays there. But when the pass rush starts breaking down, the first thing that happens to a quarterback is his eyes go down. He goes down looking at the pass rush. And then when he does get flushed, he's going to look to the guys he can see right in front of him. And the, the two instances where he missed wide open receivers, he threw it short. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that's because even though he got out and got some room, he just looked for the first guy. This is what you're used to doing at that point. Right. You know, uh, uh, oh, I escaped the rush. Let's get rid of the ball and pick something up. Right. Um, So it's, it's, you know, I said in my article yesterday, looking at, um, looking at how he missed open receivers in those situations. um, You know, there are certain things in, in athletics, you do them naturally and it's very, very difficult to coach you into doing them. Mm -hmm. And I think that vision in the passing game might be one of those things. And again, not having seen how he played at Marshall, I I don't know how his vision was there. Maybe the Marshall fans say the same thing. 65% completion rate at 3,500 yards. It couldn't be that bad. You think it'd be great. He was not gun shy at Marshall. Yeah. Um, If anything, he was the opposite when you look at his interception numbers. This is true. So like I said, I think the whole operation is just, I don't think he has any confidence in the operation. Uh, he would never admit that, of course. Yeah. But you you don't go from, and you, you don't go from his numbers at Marshall to his numbers at Tech without there being underlying issues. And people can say, oh, it's improved competition. It's not. Oh, it's for, for, Virginia Tech played five schedule. teams with a winning record this year. Yeah. This was a horrible schedule, and and 
so I, I just uh, I, they've got a lot of work to do in the off uh, in the off season on that passing game yeah. um, because I, I I just think that like if they change quarterbacks tomorrow I'd be like okay fine let me see what it looks like at the end of this season like I whether it's Grant Wells or somebody else I'm not going to have confidence going into it next season because of the offense itself. And, and I think surely Brent Pryor realizes all of this. I would you know? think so. It's just not something. I mean, if he looks at it through the lens of a defensive coordinator. <laughs> Which I think he has been based on some of the comments right. he's been making. Yes. Right. You look at a stat like only 11 second half passing yards, and that's just insane. That, that's another thing I want to bring up. He st- I, I forget exactly. I, he went. He was 10 of 14 in the first half, I for, think. For 137 yards. Yeah. Very efficient. That They were doing a very good job IDing where the Marshall Blitzes were coming from, like the pass to Daquan Wright, and getting the ball out of there quickly. Very early in the game, they were passing it really very well. Very well. And then in the second half, 4 of 6 for 11 yards. Not Nothing downfield at all. And, and this is getting to be a trend for me. I, I think it's like once the opposing defensive coordinator makes his adjustments in the passing game, we're not capable of adjusting Boom. to the adjustments. Right. So it's like whatever maybe passing game that Brad Glenn comes up with during the week doesn't necessarily translate to what Bowen sees and calls. I don't know. Like I said, I think the whole operation is messed up, and they've got to take a deep, deep, deep look at everything in the offseason. Yeah. I want to spend some time talking about some specific plays. We'll start with the good one. John Love apparently doubles as a running threat. He got a first down before he even made a field goal. I texted somebody. I don't know I might have tweeted it, and I was like, "Well, there's there's the speed option I've been asking for all year." <laughs> it's in the kicking game. <laughs> okay. Um, uh. First of all, it was seven to seven, and let's remember that this was preceded by a third and nineteen. I think they'd gotten sacked or, or held or something. This was like one that. of the quick passing gate plays in the first half. They ran a slant to blue over the middle, I yep. think. Nice and, catch. And, yeah, and picked up a nice, nice gain. Turned it into a fourth and six at the Liberty twenty five. It's seven seven. Now that's a forty two yard field goal. I think I think Love has the leg. I don't think that's really an issue, but just the timing of it. But let's also talk about the execution. The execution was flawless. If you watch the replay, as soon as the ball snapped, Love makes his his break. And Peter Moore's the holder, right? Did uh, so. he throw the ball? To no, it was, a, it was an option it. pitch. So okay. Peter yep. Moore goes to the right with the football and, and like an experienced option quarterback doesn't just immediately pitch it. Mm-hmm. He runs and looks and approaches the first defender and then pitches it. So yes. he's frozen that defender. And then you look at Nick Gallo getting the block out on the edge. Great block. And, and then Love makes his little shimmy, you know, goes and picks up. Just the, the decision you call it at that time was, was, was ballsy and good timing, and, and the execution was excellent. So next year we're going to run the Nebraska triple option with Peter Moore at quarterback. <laughs> it was also the first play of the second quarter, too. That's which right. Made That's it, right. It was coming I remember that. That's time. good. So, so they had time to, you know, kind of they probably had, quickly go over it. So w- without calling a timeout. Correct. And like, t- and, when you call a timeout and then you fake it, that's that's when you telegraph it, right? I'm telling you, man, there, and we'll talk about other instances in, in this game where situational awareness and good coaching. This is, let's lapse into hyperbole here. I think this is probably the best coach game I've seen this year. It's hard to say about Boston College because they came out and smacked them from the beginning. Right. But I thought throughout the game, they, they were very aware of time and clock and situation. And I think there might be a reason for that, when your head coach could focus on things in this game rather than yeah. calling half of the plays. Yes. 
That'll be something we get to in the defense. I know that John Love also connected from 23 yards and had three extra points, so it'll be interesting at the start of next season if they stick with him or if they go back to Ross because, I mean, he still hasn't gotten much experience. Ross obviously played the majority of the season, but we'll see. I want to talk about two very uncharacteristic plays, but before we do that, I'll throw it over to Carter. As always, let's lead it off with stat time with Scott Glessner. Hold it up a little bit. Yeah, right side up. There, right we there. there we go. There we go. Stat time <laughs> with Scott Glessner. I got to get that down. So he's starting stat time today with trivia. With the Liberty win, what did Pride do that Fuente, Beamer, and Dooley also did? I'll give you a hint. It had something to do with the final game of the season. <clears throat> Beat an in-state team in the final game of the season? Won a game. <laughs> won the final game of so the Beamer season. So Beamer won the last game of his first year? According to Scott. Last game of their inaugural I trust season. Scott, but I'm going to go look it up. <laughs> okay. Well, he came ready to go today, too. So a couple other stats. Virginia Tech allowed three sacks per game for the first time since 2008. They also averaged 314 yards per game, the fewest since 2008 as well. Or, I'm sorry, they averaged 314 yards picked up a game, the fewest since 2008 right. as well. The one-point win was the most one-point games in a season for Virginia Tech ever. They was did three. three. And unfortunately, was, they were on the wrong side of it. They were one and two. two. Long, yeah. NC State, Georgia Tech, back-to-back one-point games. Yeah. And then Liberty, so three out of four. Going further down the list, Virginia Tech hasn't scored 30 points in 14 straight games. Now, they had an opportunity and in this one. Will. Jalen Holston didn't yeah. go down. Yeah. You were talking about <laughs> if he didn't trip earlier in the game, if he had scored, Liberty was going to let him score. Right. right. He would have had not only four touchdowns, but 100 yards as well. So yeah. that would have been quite the way to go. That would have been 30 Blacksburg. points. It is tied for ninth for longest streaks. The last time Virginia Tech had this long of a stretch was 1960 to 1962. Without scoring 30 points? Correct. That was back when teams didn't score as much. Yeah, Yeah. very true. And then Virginia Tech has been outgained in yards in the last eight straight games, the longest streak since all of 1987 and the first game of 1988, which was 12 games. Yay. So, (laughs) going out with a bang to conclude football season. I've got some stats, too, that Scott will uh, appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. uh, So, this is from uh, our friend Shelton Moss again. And... Bill Colony of S&P Plus, he also tracks a stat called post-game win expectancy. It basically puts together all the stats from your game and asks the question, with these stats, how likely would you be to win the game? It's a good way of siphoning out luck and seeing how dominant a team really was in the game. So for Tech only, based on all the post, post-game stats, Tech only had a 31% chance to win the Liberty game. If you just looked at the box score without the score... And all the everything involved in it, the calculation says Virginia Tech only would have had a 31% chance to win that game. Uh, it's interesting. I wouldn't have thought it would have been that low. Uh, the Georgia Tech game was 39%. And I know some fans thought it was bad luck that Tech lost that game. And yeah, to a certain extent it was. But Georgia Tech also forced four turnovers and outgained Virginia Tech by 100 yards. Mm -hmm. So if you just look at that box score, you're like, man, Tech shouldn't have been in that game, probably. Virginia Tech, it shouldn't have been as close, maybe. Now, the Virginia Tech's postgame win expectancy against Old Dominion, 75%. And they lost. Virginia Tech's postgame win expectancy against NC State, 62%. And they lost, right? Um, Virginia Tech 
Uh, so now here's Shelton's final recap. Long story short, Virginia Tech was a little bit lucky to beat Liberty, but they were long overdue to have some good breaks go their way as well. Yeah, that's So I, I would agree with all that. I'll say this. He said that it filters out luck. I think it probably also filters out bad coaching. Probably. You know, um, and again, I think this was a better coach game. And you can even look at, at Hugh Freeze on the other sideline and say that, you know, his, his decision to go for it with about four and a half minutes left to go, uh, on Tech's forty-yard line, I think on fourth and it was significant. Fourth my problem, more fourth and twelve. Fourth and twelve. My issue with that was how they went for it. I don't have a problem with with going for it, but if you're if you're if you're planning on you know you're going to go for it on fourth and twelve, try to pick up six on third and twelve. What did they do on third and twelve? Oh, they just they tried to throw it downfield, I believe, right. and pick up a first down. Uh, like, I think, like I Virginia think. Tech did yeah. earlier when they had a third and nineteen and they picked up part like, of it. But except Tech 13. wasn't going to go for it on fourth. You think that decision was made during the quarter break? Uh, Probably, maybe. I mean, I, well, it was going to. Well, if they had thrown an incomplete pass, they weren't going to fake a field goal well, on fourth not, and nineteen, right. right? So I think Liberty shouldn't have tried to pick up all twelve yards on third down if they were planning on going for it on fourth down. Yeah. Try to pick up in the four to eight range if you can to make your uh, fourth down conversion easier. It was interesting. The uh, the guys calling the game made reference to a questionable fourth down decision that Friesen made in the previous game. Oh, by the way, Liberty Twitter, <laughs> the game production was excellent. It was. The announcers were excellent. Kudos in particular, catching a excellent camera angle on Jalen Holston's diving Superman touchdown. So... There you go, Liberty Twitter. The game broadcast was awesome. <laughs> Clip it and put it on Twitter. Oh, my gosh. I'm sure we can do that. <laughs> yep. Clip it and put it on Twitter. Um, that was awesome. Well, stat time with Shelton Moss could become a new segment. There you go. Um, now on to the other place I wanted to talk about. One that the offense gave up and one from special teams. Two very uncharacteristic plays. So uncharacteristic that we hadn't seen it happen since 2008, which was <laughs> the safety. In 2013, the Shedger Lewis kick return touchdown. What did you all think when you saw that? <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so Virginia Tech had I don't cuss on the podcast. <laughs> Virginia Tech was uh, got up seven nothing. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, great. Now let's make sure it's not the Duke game all over again, right? So then Liberty scores, but then Tech scores again, and they go up seventeen seven. I'm like, okay, sweet. It's not a repeat of the Liberty game. We've got this game the under control. Duke game, yeah. The Duke game, excuse me. And then as soon as that happens, he returns the kickoff for a touchdown, and I'm like, we just. We can't enjoy success yeah. without messing something up. Uh, that play was just credit to Liberty on the return, but that play was just two tech guys running into the same lane yeah. and yeah, blocking it, each other. If you go back and watch that, the lane discipline was not strong. Yes. Yeah. Some other good things from Saturday before we jump on to the defensive portion. Portion They led the time of possession margin. Hookie saw the ball 36 minutes, 19 seconds to Liberty's 23 minutes and 41 seconds, which was something that we harped on last week after the Duke game is they – lost that margin in all four quarters, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, biggest margin of the year, of course. Okay. Um, Tech also ran, I believe the number is uh, 79 plays to 63 for, come on, come on, where is it on my sheet? Yes, the Tech ran 79 plays to 63 for Liberty. In the previous four games, Tech opponents had run 300 plays, and Tech had run 231. So they, they flipped at that time, had a, had, a, had a huge advantage in number of plays, 16, and time of possession. And Virginia Tech also, now this includes the sacks and the kneel downs, 
Virginia Tech, although there were no first down sacks, what I'm about to say, Virginia Tech ran the ball 59 times, passed it 20, ran it 75% of the time on first down, a smidge under 75%, which is also a season high. So clearly the, the game plan was to run the football and to run it up the middle, by the way. There wasn't a lot of... I think when you look at Virginia Tech's pass protection issues recently yep. and the fact that Liberty was first in the country in sacks, there's a reason they went into that yep. game with a game plan of, tr- of trying to run it as much as possible, and I think it was the right plan. Yeah. One more thing before we get to the defense. Since I didn't watch the game live, why was the two-point conversion called back? Because the clip that uh, I saw, he, it looked like he had possession. When he... um when. Live, it looked like he caught it. Yeah. But when they showed the replay, Caleb never really had full possession of it, and it was down on his lap when he landed, and it actually came out. Doesn't oh. matter that it came out, because if but he, he if, but he did if, if he his, if he had had possession, even if it had come out when he hit the ground, it would have been fine. That is correct. But, but they're saying when he had it right here, kind of against his leg. Yeah, he can, he, he didn't have it control here. with his hands. He it was he it was pressed up against his body. Yeah. Um. He was I, in the process of catching yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Still hadn't fully secured it when he hit the ground and it came out. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a right line. call. He got yeah. smacked at the goal line. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I guess it didn't matter since we won the game. But I do want to try to squeeze in the defensive portion before the break, shifting to the defense. What a performance from those guys. And in game one for Chris Marv calling the plays with only 13 offensive points given up. It makes you excited that he's going to do a great job calling the plays in the future. Also a season high in tackles for loss with 12. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, which... We talked about in the preview, Liberty led the country in tackles for a loss. They were number one. Tech flipped We the had 12 yeah. in this game, and they only had eight. Yeah. And uh, not to return to offense and not to beat on Grant Wells, but but I thought he ate the ball or turned the wrong way on some sacks that uh, maybe it shouldn't have been six sacks for Liberty. He's, he's, he's hit or miss on that because the yeah. first, first Tech's first big gain of the game was a 19-yard run on him when the blitzer came free and nobody blocked him, and Wells yeah. juked around him and ran – for 19. So, so that spin move he does, sometimes, sometimes, it, it, works, sometimes, sometimes it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, back to the defense. Uh, yeah, nice. They said so they had 12 TF, TFLs and Liberty only had eight. So, When did you all know that Chris Marv was calling the plays? Was that announced before uh, the game? It was, it, was not, it was announced after the game. On he the was po- holding the play on sheet the, on the post game. game. Now, there was a point, and it was in the screenshot that you put in your article, where I was like, yeah, he's got a play sheet. I've seen him coaching really hard before, but I've never seen him with a play sheet right in front of his face reading yeah. it. So I'm like, I wonder if he's calling the plays. And sure enough, when I when and I went to my car, did, yeah, he did yeah. the whole thing of covering his mouth. Yeah, and, yeah. When I went to my car and turned the post game on, they were talking about it. Yeah. And I'm like, that makes sense. There were two critical force turnovers that came from this game and helped to wrap up the win. First one from Monsor Delane, who continues to impress. Not only did he have the force turnover, but he was also just about as good as you could be in coverage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well put. Basically well put. Uh, they targeted him six times. They completed one pass for minus one yard. Yeah. So that's six wasted plays by Liberty by throwing the ball in, in Monsoor Delane's general direction. Uh, outstanding player. I did an Inside the Numbers article that was posted this morning. It's partially on Ty Garbutt, but it's also partially more on Monsoor Delane. Even though I just did one on Delane <laughs> last week, I dug up even more on him that really puts his fr- freshman season to light comparing him to some past tech corners of the PFF era. Um, and I, it's insanely impressive. Like, like I don't vote in preseason all ACC teams because I don't know enough about other teams' personnel. Um, but, like, if I did vote, 
I would have Delane as my one of my all ACC cornerbacks going into next year. He has been great. I think you can make a strong, strong argument that he's one of the top two, the corner, two or three cornerbacks in this league this year as a freshman. Do you know off the top of your head how many snaps he's played this year? It's over 400. It's wow. a big enough so sample it's a, size. It's a lot. Oh, yeah. So, first of all, his, his PFF grade is 83 point something. The next closest tech player is 77 point something. So, he's the highest grading player on the team by a pretty wide margin. And in this game, it was, in, it was interesting to look – at the at the coverage grades these are preliminary i don't know if they've changed since then but i looked it up and tech had a coverage grade of 76.9 as a team which is pretty good mm-hmm. and, and but i remember a lot of wide receivers open so i drilled down into it a little bit delane had an 89.6 in coverage elite level and then the players that came after him were were all linebackers you know kelly lawson Keonta jenkins dax hollyfield you don't see another defensive back until you get down to a grade of 63.2 in coverage. This is specifically a coverage grade by DJ Harvey, who only played a handful of snaps. So Delane, what I wrote in my article was, it seemed like every time there was close coverage and a pass was incomplete, it was Delane. Every time there was loose coverage and a pass was complete, it wasn't Delane. So it was interesting to drill down into that and see that the team coverage grade was good, but when you get into the defensive backs, he really stood out. Offensively, Liberty is what we thought they were. Yeah. They, uh, their quarterbacks aren't good, and they've only got one good wide receiver. The big thing for Virginia Tech is they were able to take Demario Douglas out of the game. He caught nine passes. He also had the dropsies. He wasn't right, even, and, and I'm giving Tech credit too, but uh, I got the feeling he usually plays better. He, he only averaged like nine yards a catch or eight yards a catch or something like that. Yeah. So uh, they, they kept him from being, and I think his longest catch was 12 yards. Right. So they kept him from being having a major impact in the game. And with uh, Liberty starting running back out, which – you know, let's let's admit that that, that helped too, of course. Yeah. Uh, so, with their basically their two best playmakers unable to make plays for them, I mean, they they couldn't move the ball. Yeah, and Tywan Garbett proceeded to have yes play yes. out of his mind. Played, and played yeah. great. That's played what great. I was gonna I, say. The next turnover came late in the fourth quarter when he had the strip sack on Caden Salter and Jalen Griffin recovers, but an impressive season from him. I mean, we're surely gonna miss him next year. Twelve and a half tackles for loss and six sacks this year, and he's he's steadily gotten better. Uh, over his career, and we've talked so much about guys at Virginia Tech over the last four or five years who came in and played well as freshmen, and then they didn't really develop. They never really took a step forward. Well, you know, he's been the opposite. He has steadily developed throughout the course course of his career. He had his best year as a as a redshirt senior, which is what you would expect, and he did that. Twelve and a half tackles for loss and six sacks in nine games. You know, he's only played seventy five percent of a regular twelve game schedule. Hmm. Because he missed two games with an injury, and then he won't get the the UVA game, obviously. So, very impressive season statistically when you when you consider his injuries and 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 the amount of time that he's missed. Um, so yeah, I couldn't have picked a better time to get the pass rush dialed back up. Since I didn't get to watch the game, did you all think that the defense adjusted well to the quarterback adjustment, and why did they do that? Was it per injury, or did they just think they had a better chance to the, win by they, switching it they've, up? They've played both second, of those second guys. Guy, yeah, year. second guy was a better runner. They've kind of had a revolving door at quarterback. Yeah. It's one of those things, neither one of them's any good, so you just kind of throw them both out there and see who has the hot hand. Yeah. Now, I don't know that I would have brought in the, the, the freshman, the second quarterback that they brought in. Salter? Yeah, because – their starter was the guy who wanted Arkansas. Now, granted, they wanted Arkansas because they held Arkansas to 19 points, right. but but still, 
I don't know. I don't think there's really a right answer for Liberty at quarterback. Their best quarterback is hurt. Brewer yeah. Brewer mm-hmm. would have been their best quarterback, and that's unfortunate for Does them. Does he still have eligibility after this? I year? don't. I think this was his last one. I think I'm not. I don't know uh, if he should test his luck, even if he does. Oh, I he guess. would just definitely get hurt again. Is what yeah. it seems yeah, like. Yeah, football's so, not kind of the Brewers. So, yeah, so like Liberty, man, they're eight and three, and they've had to use they've had to use their second and third string quarterbacks all year. So on the whole. It's a, it's, this is the Hugh Freeze's best coaching job this year, I think. When you consider their record, like they only went eight and five last year when they had Malik Willis. Malik Willis. Yeah. And, and their three losses were, were by one, three, and one point. Right. So, you know, we, we all remember the 1998 Hokies and they went eight and three. And yeah, Liberty's had this. That's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. That's a wrap on football season. We now know that the season is over and this team won't have a chance to build off of that win for now. But exciting that these coaches are going to get to the recruiting trail and we'll see if any changes are made. But Brent Pride, three and eight in his first year. What we feel feel better about, I feel better about the defense now. Yeah, It's just one game. And it helps that like they, they had no study of Marv's tendencies because he's never called plays before. So that's another thing that played in Tech's favor in this game. But I just thought the whole operation was better with with the actual defensive coordinator calling plays. I mean, we both saw more interactions from Brent Pry on the sideline with the players. Um, I, I thought the tech, Tech's timing of when they were declaring their plays was better. Um I was really worried that they'd get Demario Douglas isolated against Dax Holyfield because that's what every other team has been able to do with their slot receiver yeah. this year. But they were unable to do that. Whether that was because of Chris Marv just not putting Dax in that position or whether Liberty's offensive coordinator didn't do a good job of it or maybe Liberty's quarterbacks just weren't good enough to take advantage of it. I don't know, but you're one for one there in the Marv tenure, so that's a positive start. Um, so I just think the whole operation went better with – with everybody doing the jobs that they were supposed to be doing the whole whole time. Yeah, so uh, I, I cracked I, in, I cracked so in my I'm, article, 825K a year, and he's finally doing the job he was hired to do. Finally doing yeah. the job he was hired to do. And that's not, and that, that's well. not his fault. But, I mean, I thought he had – I thought that's as, that's as good a performance as you could hope for his first game. Uh, so I'm excited about that going into next year. Like, what's the real tech defense, the one we saw yesterday or the ones we saw – earlier this year it's probably something in between but i do think tech was better off i said before the duke game that i would have made the change then yeah uh one game later than i would have done it but that's fine yeah. that's fine i thought uh i think we've got a better idea now of uh hopefully we have a better idea of, of what we got defensively going in the next season uh still very worried about that passing game it's got to get fixed by any means necessary uh just, i think it's got to get rebuilt but that's the that's the sad thing about football season. Football season is only three months long, so we got nine months to think about what's the offense, what, what's the passing game going to look like next season. So Bas- I, basketball, the off season is only seven months, right? And 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 this football season ended earlier, even than, shorter. I, I, like I wish Scott Glessner would provide me with that stat. When is the last Ooh. time a football season ended this? So so early? One, so one season, or excuse me, one week early, and then no bowl game, right? We're used to it dragging out in the late December, early early January. Right. So now happening. we're we're mid November, mid to mid. late November, and it's already yeah, you, over. You said football's three months long. This was two and a half. That's months. true. Yeah. yeah. I would almost counter that. We don't necessarily know what the defense is going to look like next year. I mean, I sure hope that Chris Marv is a good recruiter because you think about you lose Taiwan Garbutt, you lose Shamar, you, you lose Dax, you don't lose Alan Tisdale, which is good. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about the linebackers. There's going to be some new personnel. Kelly Lawson, I want to point out, he graded out above 70 each of his last three games. That guy has really made some progress. And I I think that's, that's a sign that Marv is a good linebackers coach. We saw Dax have his best season. The only time Dax really messed up is when he got put in those situations that he never should have been put in in and, the passing and Dex's game. coverage grades were consistently good. He's just not that guy to be guarding somebody right. at 20 yards most of those, field. Most of the coverage was like probably about as good as you could expect <laughs> right. in that situation. He, well he, he just shouldn't be asked to do it. So, uh, so wait a minute. Let me jump in here and say Lawson had, had an oh wow play at one point. Uh, he was um, – I think he was spying the quarterback. The quarterback broke the pocket and started to run, and he closed on, mm-hmm. you know, one of those, wow. One of those Xavier DB chasing down. I wasn't going to yeah. say the name, but that's exactly that's what exactly. I was thinking, man. Yep. And he's a guy, so such an inexperienced player because his junior season got cut short due to injury. In high school. In high school. Then his senior year got cut in half due to COVID. And then he came to Tech and redshirted as a receiver. And he didn't move to linebacker. I forgot he was a receiver. Oh, my God. That that was one long-legged dude. Then then he didn't get moved to linebacker until halfway through the spring. And then he missed half the preseason when he had, uh, I believe, a minor knee surgery. So this is a very inexperienced football player, particularly as a linebacker. And the progress he showed the last few games of the season, I mean, this guy's got a monster future. Hit the weight room. Well, oh he, my gosh. he already's already done a great job there. Yeah. He went from two hundred pounds to two hundred fifteen pounds nice. in his first off season yeah. when he redshirted. <laughs> I, that's the a, whoa, that's the, the first button. time. Nick, get off your phone and hit the button. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, so. and then Tucker Holloway wasted his redshirt. Oh god! They, 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 they did the right thing. He earned the right to make and the choice. He, him and his health. family wanted it. Right. So well, they, right. They they, they, they earned the right. I, I just wish they'd made a different decision. Hey, he was blocking like crazy he on that a long gr- catch by Gallo. He, he blocked well. He had a great blocking grade on Saturday, so yes. Yeah, he, I saw him a couple times on he, film. I was like, he's doing he, a good he job. Did, he didn't hit, catch any balls, but he helped us win. Yeah. yeah. All right, that'll wrap up the first half. But before we break, let's check back in with Carter. Well, before we really put a bow on football season, this is something that David Teal, Aaron McFarlane, I think David tweeted out too. The last time the Hokies haven't played UVA was 1969. Right. And I did some research. That year, Tech was 4-5-1. and one. They lost their first five games of the season. Wow. And they didn't lose the rest of the way. And speaking of our Roanoke-Danville conversation Oh, last my week, gosh. They beat Buffalo in Buffalo, beat William & Mary in Roanoke, tied Florida State in Blacksburg, beat Duke in Norfolk, and then beat VMI in Roanoke. Man, they were the barnstormers in 1969, <laughs> going all the over the place. Yeah, <laughs> like so. Why was that? Why? Why? That right, first of all, why? Do, why you. didn't they play UVA that year? And why were they playing all those games in all those different places? Like they literally just built Lane Stadium like five years earlier. Yes. So why was, aren't you using it? It was Lane Stadium's fifth year of existence. And it was Frank Beamer's first year removed from college. That's right. That year, he was an assistant coach at, at Radford, Radford High School. High School. Yep. 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 So, you know, there's, and, and unfortunately, I don't have the timing all in my head, but T. Marshall Hahn became president of Virginia Tech and took it upon himself. And I hope I don't phrase this wrong. And I hope there's not somebody watching who's saying that's wrong. But, but T. Marshall Hahn is basically credited with building Virginia Tech from a from a smaller regional school into a larger university. Mm-hmm. And it's possible, and I may just be just blowing stuff out of my you-know-what here, but it's possible that all this traveling around was part of just trying to get themselves 
out there and in front of people, or maybe that's just what they did back then playing in all these different places. I don't know, but that's what it makes me think of is that, uh, they, they were, they were going to Norfolk, they were going to, uh, Roanoke and that allowed more people to see them and become aware of who they were. Yeah. Need more games in Danville. There's been some people. Danville. Yeah, We've never been, allowed a point when we played a game in Danville. There, there have been some people that have talked about back. that with basketball for when they redo Castle Coliseum. I know wanting for them to play in like the scope uh, in Norfolk. Yeah, you like know, that. rather than just saying, "Oh, we're going to play in Roanoke every yeah. every weekend." Now that that would that would be a whew, that would be a tra- travel nightmare. Like, well, because you'd but, have to but, pay for hotels right, and things. But they can like fly that. in and out of Blacksburg. Yes. yes, they can get on a plane that can fly in and out of Blacksburg. So that's good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think they should. They should probably do it a couple times, but not like all the time. Right. I, I've always been an advocate for basketball of going to Richmond and having a four-team tournament every year, and Tech play in it every other year, and UVA play in it every other year. And oh, it's yeah. always four yeah. teams from the Commonwealth. I mean, they used to do that. Back uh, back when Virginia Tech beat Georgetown the year after I graduated and Bimbo Coles was a sophomore and Georgetown was great or, or had been great, that game wasn't played at Georgetown and it wasn't played in Blacksburg. I think it was played in the 757. Mm-hmm. And, Will, the last time the season ended earlier than this year's was in 1989, according to Scott Glessner. Okay. They beat NC State 25-23 to 23 that year in Raleigh. Yeah, I remember that was a big win. Hmm. All right. All right, that'll lead us into our break here on episode 273 of the Tech Sideline podcast presented by First Bank and Trust. Discuss the Hokies' win at Liberty and the status of the Commonwealth Cup in the first half. And when we come back, we'll talk some basketball. Make sure you stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back into episode 273 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Happy to have you with us. We're going to skip over today's edition of the ACC Power Rankings just for sake of time. We'll circle back to those next week after the conclusion of the regular season and do one final edition of that. So let's talk some basketball, which started out great with back-to-back wins against Old Dominion and Penn State, but Sunday night came one basket short of taking home the trophy where they fell 77-75 to to College of Charleston. The home team and the host of this tournament, David, you were there the whole weekend covering the game. How was that experience for you? Uh, it was cool. Um, I I think the most frustrating part of the entire journey was the fact that, you know, I've I literally have covered every single thing that Brent Pry has done since he took the job. And then the one time, the one game I decided I'm not going to, Virginia Tech snaps wins. Snaps what yes. a seven game losing streak. I was and wins. in the same boat. I went to every away game except for Liberty. Yeah, so. uh, our luck, I guess. Yes. Um, no, Charleston was cool. Um, you know, I'd never been to Charleston. Cool little uh, city. Um, very, very good food. Um, and I had a good time. I think we saw. I got to see some good basketball, not just Tech, um, but there were a ton of other different teams there. 
Um, and I think t- we learned a lot about this Virginia Tech basketball team. I mean, they played Old Dominion. That game came down to the wire on Thursday afternoon. They played a really good Penn State team that, that as of now, and I think there's a good chance at the end of the season, it'll end up being a quadrant one win still. Nice. Um, and that game came down to the wire. And then Sunday they were tested by College of Charleston. And it did not – that's a game I think Tech should have won. It did not end up that way. But all in all, if Virginia Tech learns from this at the end of the day, I think that's the most important thing. So, um, overall, it was it was a good trip. I got to see some of my friends that live down in the area. And, uh, yeah, I, I spent – I mentioned this earlier before the podcast, but um, – there is a bar in Charleston called The Brick, and I sent you uh, you and Chris a picture. And there is a skeleton hanging from uh, the ceiling there. It is a tech bar. It is owned by Matthew Quillen, former Hokie Bird tech alum. Um, his family's big tech donors. Right. Um, and there's a skeleton hanging from the ceiling that is holding uh, that, literally the, the men's basketball championship, ACC champions flag, and holding like two or three stick it in cans. So I thought oh, that was cool. That's so, awesome. Yeah, which, so I do, which I do not have handy. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there, and there are some Virginia Tech flags all over the place. It was a really good crowd. I wanted to go somewhere to watch the football game um, on Saturday because it's on ESPN Plus, and I didn't know how many other bars would have ESPN Plus, you know, showing the game because who else, who would really care about the Virginia Tech Liberty game when like TCU and Michigan both had games that came down to the wire, yeah. but it was a really cool crowd. Charleston Hockey Club um, had a ton of people there. Um, there was a big group of men's basketball donors that were there. Mike Young and the men's basketball staff and team actually like rolled through and got a standing ovation and, and mingled a little bit and, uh, and hung out with some people. So it, that was, that was a really good time. And, so it was very weird for me not to be covering a Virginia Tech football game for the first time in like three-ish years, maybe wow. more than that. Um, but it was a good time. So who who else was there covering the basketball tournament? Was Mark Berman it there? It was just Mark, me and Mark Berman Yeah. So from the wrong time. So we were the only two tech media there. So did Mark go to the bar and drink with you? I did not. I didn't see him. I Man, didn't see that's, him there. That's, that's, that's disappointing. So well, anyway, one comment I want to get in. Not the worst weekend of basketball for me because I hate losing ODU in anything and yes. they beat them. I hate losing to Penn, Penn State, State in basketball yeah. and they beat them. Yes. And, and I don't have anything against College of Charleston, you know. Um, I, I, I think, uh, I, I think like you said, that was a good test for Virginia Tech. Um, I, I already, you know, we already we talk about this all the time. We already conceptually know that basketball teams play thirty-five games in a season. Don't get too hung up on what happens in any one. But what last season really taught me was you can be 10 and 10 and 2 and 7 in the ACC and the things that are wrong with your team can get ironed out and you can go on to have a good finish to the season. So I'm not all torqued that Tech lost to College of Charleston. I thought College of Charleston played and coached a really good game. Never mind the road environment because Tech's going to have to play in those road environments in the ACC. But I actually... Some, someone on our basketball message board this morning said, um, you know, this is looking like an under 500 basketball team to me. And I said, tell you what, bookmark your post. If this basketball team ends up under, under 500, I'll give you a year free of TSL pass. So I can't believe you're sleeping on Mike Young like that yeah. after last year. After what year. you've seen him do the past couple of years. I know. Yeah. So just want to get that off my yeah. chest. I think that's a bet that you would likely win. So I'm interested <laughs> to see how that pans out. But just in general, from both of you, I mean, 
was this was this loss to College College of Charleston a bad loss, or is this kind of a team under the radar has potential to kind of make some noise in college basketball? This yeah, year? I think this is a College of Charleston team that's good. That could is if I had to pick a team to go win the CAA and make it to you know to the tournament, like obviously I'm biased because I just watched College of Charleston beat Virginia Tech, but this is a really good team, and they didn't just beat Virginia Tech; they beat Davidson and Colorado State. Colorado State went to the tournament last year, so so they. You know, Mike Young was frustrated after the game because it's like we had this opportunity and, you know, we were up and we should have closed him out. And, and I get that. But one of the other things he said was, look, you don't we didn't expect to play College of Charleston because I don't think many people come to this tournament expecting that the host, who is the smallest school in the tournament, is going to make it to the final. But. College of Charleston won its way there and beat some really good teams. And the Colorado State and Davidson games weren't close. So I think the fact that it's not a bad loss, Virginia Tech fans need to root for College of Charleston to, you know, to have a good season. Um, But again, like I think, I think this will probably end up being a quadrant two loss at the end of the year, just because College of Charleston, I think, should have a pretty good year. Um, But like Will said, they played and coached a really, really good game. Really good tournament. um, Yeah, and... Uh, their coach, who's his name's Pat. I forget his last name because there are two Pats. Uh, it was it was interesting. Pat Kelsey. Pat Kelsey, yes. So Pat Robinson was their player who hit the game-winning bucket, and they put both of them at the podium. So it was Pat and Pat. Um, <laughs> uh, well, Pat said, but but he had coached against Mike Young before, and he, you know, the way he he explained it after the game, just you know how Mike Mike Young's system is so complex where. They run this offense, and it looks very simple on the outside. But they have this counter, and then they have a counter to a counter, and then a counter to a counter to a counter. And he, you know, he kind of just explained all this, and he was like, "We created such a good game plan, not just for this game, but for the tournament." And yes, the home crowd helped them. They had the kind of the the wind in their sails the whole way. But I do think at the end of the day, it will not go down as a as a really bad loss. The most important thing is, like I said earlier, Virginia Tech learns from it because the fact that Virginia Tech led, you know, by seven at the under eight media timeout and then was outscored by 10 points the rest of the way, you know, there are, I guess, parts of this tournament as a whole where we saw multiple times Virginia Tech had an opportunity to to shut teams out, put the teams out of their misery, and the team got back in the game and Tech won the first two games, but... A little bit more difficult when you're playing in front of a home crowd. Well, remember, you and I sat here and did a short video where it was part of a podcast at one point last year. And yeah. we talked about, I don't want to use the word poorly, how poorly Virginia Tech was playing at the end of games. I remember they were at UVA. The, the struggles in the last five minutes of games. We literally broke down the numbers and they were bad. Yeah, and I was, I was looking at the two games against UVA last year. I think it was, was in Charlottesville. Tech led, I think, 49-47 and UVA scored the last five points of the game. And that kind of thing was happening a lot earlier in the year, but they got it ironed out by the end of the yeah. year. Um, so one of the things that happened in this tournament that 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 I found interesting, non-Virginia Tech, was was the fact that Colorado State, which is a very good basketball team, I think College of Charleston beat them by 12, and then was it Penn State? Penn State, yeah. Penn State in one of the consolation games proceeded to beat third, them by yeah, 12. Yeah, th- the third, I guess – the third or fifth place game, whatever yeah. that was. But so, and, and that and that's and then again, that's big. Virginia Tech fans also need to be cheering for Penn State to do well because that could end up being a big quadrant one win right. at the end of the year. 
So Pence, for it to be a Q1 win, Penn State would have to be a top 50 team. 50 team. Now, for the College of Charleston game to be a Q1 loss, you you said that I think they have one through 75. The, the college, and so in case you're wondering, the College of Charleston game actually winds up being a true road game, even yes. though it was a an air quotes That's confirmed by tournament. the NCAA. Yep. So so that's interesting. If CFC somehow manages to manages to get into the top 75, which will be difficult because, you know. But they could, I think it could realistically be a good quadrant two loss. Yeah. Which is Virginia Tech will play worse teams in the ACC this year. Boston and, College. <laughs> well, look at Louisville and Florida State. I mean, Louisville. you don't have to go very far. Right. Well, there was a lot of opportunities to win this one, and the three-point shooting was the ultimate dagger. You look at a stat like 6 of 27. I can't even believe that that's real. And 3 of 19 the game before. Yes, and 3 of 19 the day before against Penn State. That's certainly got to improve over the course of the season. Yeah, well, that's – and I I think I wrote it in my recap. That's three of the six games this year that Tech's hit six or less three-pointers. And I think it's been good that – at times, especially against Penn State when they only hit three, the Hokies were able to kind of manipulate uh, matchups and get what they wanted down low. But as the season goes on, this cannot be a common trend. Um, and the other thing is they were getting good looks all weekend. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like they're they're coming off a screen and they have a, a hand in their face every single time. You know, Hunter Couture is pulling up from the spot he's he's usually coming off when he's coming off of a rip screen. So, yeah, I think it's kind of, not mind-blowing, but kind of a little startling. Surprising. Startle, yeah, surprising, startling that Virginia Tech was this bad. And it wasn't just like, yeah, I hit 10 on, 10 on uh, Thursday against Old Dominion. But three and then six, you, you got Charleston Southern this upcoming Friday, Black Friday game. And then you got a stretch where you've got Minnesota, North Carolina, Dayton, and Oklahoma State. You have to be able to hit threes. threes. And if yeah. you remember the North Carolina games of old, a lot of the games that Tech has lost to North Carolina, they've gotten good open looks and they just haven't been just able to hit them from it, three. Yeah. So as, as I don't I don't think this will become a trend, especially if Tech's playing at home. But the fact that they also did it against Lehigh, again, a little startling. So let me ask you a question about Sean Padula, and, and, and this is going to sound like it's kind of off the wall, but I can explain the background to it. Did you think he was healthy? Because he apparently was on a Sons of Saturday podcast, and and I didn't see it, but somebody who saw it said he was kind of hacking and coughing during the during the podcast. Did he strike you as being one hundred percent? His, ooh, it's interesting. Um, he talked to us after the game on Sunday. Um, his voice is a little raspy, but I also can't tell if that's because he's yelling. Like right. his voice was raspy when we talked to him at the beginning of the year. So I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's changed anything. Because, um, because he just, he, he just didn't seem to be himself now in the second half. On the, Sunday, I mean on the court, on the court, yeah. on the second half Sunday, he had 15 points, and that's the Sean Padula. That, yeah, and, well, and and part of me thinks, I'm, I'm wondering a little bit if, and I assume this is something Mike Young and, and the staff kind of talks to Sean about, um, but I believe it was either the first half or maybe it was both the end of first halves against College of Charleston. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was either against College of Charleston or Penn State where Padula just basically ran the clock out at the end of the first half and pulled up from three and didn't hit it. That rings a bell. I don't know which game it was. It, yeah. Nick says Penn State. So, yeah, yeah it, and and that, 
I think he ha- he hasn't had a bad game necessarily yet this year. I don't think, but the Penn State game, I don't think he was at his best. I thought he was better on Sunday against College of Charleston, but I thought there were times where he tried to do way too much. Right where he and and maybe. I mean, I'm not going to speculate on whether he's under the radar or not. He seemed fine. Under the when, weather. Under the weather, yeah. I know he's under the under radar. The radar. That's why yes. I like yeah. him. <laughs> um, under the weather. But, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, those possessions where he kind of just holds the ball, nobody's moving, and they kind of clear out a little bit for him, and he drives, gets penetration, looks open, and he decides to take it himself and misses not that those are bad shots, but I think maybe, I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak for Mike Young, but I think those are opportunities where if you move the ball and rotate around, Tech gets more, a better offensive look, I yeah, think. Yeah. So, and, and to kind of close that discussion out, you know, uh, I mean, I expect a lot of him. I think he's got a high ceiling, yeah. but, but he is still young. He basically played half a season last year. Yeah. You know, that's when they finally started playing him more. And, and there's a different mindset, even though he's a, He's a gritty dude who's not scared of anything. There is a different mindset when you're the guy. When you're coming in and replacing Storm Murphy, just kind of let it rip. You can't let it rip for 35 to 38 minutes. And I think he's in the process of figuring it out. A lot of his shots, you're like, whoa, I can't believe he shot that. It went in. And a lot of his shots, you're like, well, I can't believe he shot that. That wasn't even close. So, so I, I think, think he's still, figuring I think he's it still out. finding that balance. Yeah, he'll get there. And I, and I do think, really quick, I think it's important to note that we learned against Old Dominion on Thursday that taking Mike or taking Padula and Hunter Couture off the court at the same time. Um, that was at the very end of the first half when, when tech had that minus four point swing that I, I mentioned in my story and Mike young mentioned after the game, he wanted to get Couture and Padula a break and he had MJ Collins and Darius Maddox and John Camden on with Mutz and Poteet, I believe. And that, and that group gave up four points to end the half, and Old Dominion kind of carried that momentum into the half. So we've kind of seen how important Padula is yeah. like so far for mm-hmm. this team. So Mike Young starts 5-0 and for the second straight season. The sixth game is apparently the kicker. Last <laughs> year it was that game against Memphis. This year it was against College Ugh. of Charleston. The first loss is always the hardest, so hopefully moving forward we know that more losses will probably come and hopefully they aren't as hard to take. But from the tournament as a whole, who did you think played well and maybe who's still earning their footing early in the season? Hmm, That's a good question. I would say that MJ Collins is uh, uh, his shooting percentage is poor. He looks good, but he's not making his shots. I agree. Mike, Mike, I, I mentioned him in my story, and Mike said something about him after the game, and he had that dunk where yeah. I I called it gutsy because I was like, it takes a lot for a freshman to just come out and and dunk on somebody, mm-hmm. and he he made it look easy. He's not getting lost in the defensive, and I think he's farther along than Maddox was last year. Um, Mike, Mike doesn't have many guys to play, but he has Mike's trust. And I think that's huge. Um, I think Collins has been good on, he hasn't been like getting lost on the defensive end, yeah. which is something you worry about. Something happened to a freshman. He hasn't, he's had a couple looks like he had a three pointer that was wide open that he missed. Um, yeah. but again, he's a true freshman. As time, as time goes by, he'll make, he'll make those, uh, let's see, um, Poteet, Poteet, Elijah uh, Poteet beside, I mean, and Mike Young took took credit and said it was his fault for that final matchup 
um, on that you last know possession. That's, that's probably really grinding his gears. That, that yeah, he, I mean, yeah, it, that they wound up in that situation at the end. of Poteet wound up, wound up guarding being, him. Yeah, yeah and the, I mean, he blew by Poteet, and then it was a one-on-one with Mutz, and and, and Mutz kind of looked like he was trying to take the charge as opposed to really contesting I mean, the yeah, shot. But I get why you don't contest the shot. Yeah, you don't want him to call a foul yeah. and send a guy to the line. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back to the the question. P- um, Poteet. I thought Poteet. Besides that, I mean, and that again was more of a situational thing. Like Poteet hit what two clutch free throws against Old Dominion. Yeah. And yeah. he provided some big rebounds and more of an offensive threat. And I think we are how Mike Young balances that petite kid rotation is going to be interesting. Yeah, and there was there was a really good discussion on our basketball board with GC Hokey thirty four getting involved talking about um, the the Poteet's biggest issue right now is his defensive shortcomings, the way he the angles he takes on things, and mm-hmm. I think offensively he looks really good, and and I do like him at the free throw line, and he's. He's such a hoss. That guy, they don't have anybody like that on that team who's, yeah. such, who's such a load. Um, uh, let's see. Now, who got who Who really didn't play all that much? Camden didn't play much. It was kind of surprised how Kid didn't play a Kid lot of Kid started minutes. that Old Dominion game and then against Penn State. And you also have to think a lot of those teams Tech played were not big. Yeah. So it's not like Mike, you know – one of the things I noticed against College of Charleston is in the begin and, and maybe a little bit of Penn State, but in the beginning of the games, especially, they had it was essentially four guards and a big guy, and Tech's trying to counter that with three guards, mutts, and a big and guy, a big guy yeah. and that stresses Tech when it's a one-on-one matchup inside, and you know mutts or Basili. Basili or whoever it is can do a good job defending, but you want to bring that help defense, but you can't because if you close out, they pass you know, so well. They pass out to the perimeter and there's yeah. open guy. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I I think I think Couture's defense on Friday against uh, 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 it's Pickett Pickett of uh, uh, Penn State. Uh, I want to call him Kenny Pickett <laughs> <laughs> against Pickett, <laughs> against Pickett of Penn State. Jalen Pickett. Jalen Pickett. Yeah. Um, and Pickett. It's really good, and he backed Couture down many times and was able to kind of pass out of the post, and Couture did a really good job defending him, and we already know how good Couture is defensively, yeah. but um, I, I don't think, I think Maddox was fine. Um, I think Mutz, Mutz was okay. I think he got better as the tournament went on. I think he had a little bit too many turnovers at times, just trying to force things. I think he and Basili are still trying to figure out how to play together. You remember the one turnover they had in the College of Charleston game? Very, they, very silly. They wound up close to each other. They wound up in front of me. Literally, like I'm sitting there and I'm like, what are you guys doing? Mutz <laughs> is coming out to get the ball, and Basili's trying to tell him to get out of the way. Like, and, and Mutz is like, give me the ball. And 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 Bas- Basili essentially like went to pass it and looked like very slow motion in front of me. The ball kind of just like floated. And and the College of Charleston guy like literally saw it coming and just grabbed it and went yeah. the other way. And I think they're still trying to figure out how to play together. But. So I'm getting a kick out of the out of watching the Basili Mutz battle for who's gonna have the most turnovers this year. It's <laughs> oh it's moving God. back and forth, you know. And, and we we te- when Justin was on the podcast, we I teased, teased about, about how much he turned about. it over, you yeah. know. I think at this point he's 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 not a young man, uh, no. Justin Mutz. I think he is what he is. He's going to take chances. He's going to try to make passes. He's going to try to make moves. And 
Uh, so, so I think another impression of the weekend was was watching Basili. It's actually pronounced like Basili. I was like just about to say that's yes. something we learned recently is that it's Basili and, and not Darius Basili. Maddox is Maddox. Ma- yes, Darius yeah. Maddox. Yeah, yeah, Darius Maddox Mad- and Grant Basili. Mansoor, not Mansoor. Yeah. Mansoor Dulane. Back to football. <laughs> but is is the number of times that Basili and Mutz isolated in the post offensively? And those generally smaller teams let them operate one on one. Yeah, um, tech, I thought they tech, did well. Tech loves the the little back cut where it's a screen. Like say the ball's on one wing and it's a screen on the back back side. And a lot of times it's Mutz. Mutz gets a roll around real quick and he ends up under the basket alone. And yeah. it's essentially just like he gets the ball and then the defender comes and it's a one on one and Mutz you know, kind of turns to the basket. Um, yeah, Tech's done well with that. I'm, I'm curious when we see them play teams that are bigger, have bigger guys, because that was the thing about, like, Old Dominion. Old Dominion kind of made them stretch the floor. Penn State had, was kind of the same way. College of Charleston had that had a couple, had two big guys. They had that one big, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, um, mm-hmm. who, who made... He's the one who made the two three-pointers. Made a couple big three-pointers. He's from Croatia? Yeah, he's from Croatia. He's a, no. got a Croatian name. So, there, Tech hasn't really played a team that has been able to match them big for big yet. And Tech, I think, has... You know, Mutz has the versatility where he's able to guard kind of different players, but when Tech plays a Armando Baycott in North Carolina, how does that matchup look? And like I'd be curious to see what Baycott Poteet that matchup looks like. Getting you know, banging and bumping down the low. Floor's gonna cave in. <laughs> yeah. Carter, I know you have one quick hit on hoops. Well I just was looking at the minute distribution for the College of Charleston game. Justin Mutz played thirty nine minutes, Hunter mm. Couture thirty eight, mm. Sean Padula thirty four, Grant Bazilli thirty, Darius Maddox twenty two. And then MJ Collins played 25 minutes. Obviously, that will be effective hmm. when Rodney Rice comes back. But who do you think that will affect the most, David? I know you're pretty in uh, tune with that. Apparently, Rice is going to take some I'm, minutes I, from I'm Collins. Ex- I'm expecting okay. Rice to be back. He's making his debut on Friday. Against, against hey. Charleston, Charleston Southern. Char- Charleston, Charleston Southern. Southern. Yeah, what a, two Charleston teams. Um, yeah, I, it's very. I'm very curious to see... Um, that's one of the things like I asked Mike Mike Young about MJ Collins. I think I was at the Liberty or William Mary game. Um and he was kind of just like, I've got nobody to play. You know, that's why like we've seen I think people who had high expectations for for John Camden for we forget that yes, he transferred from Memphis, but he only played in one game last year. He played year. one He's minute. A red shirt, minutes, he's right? a redshirt freshman. Yeah. He was essentially a true freshman. Yeah. Um so right now, Collins is the only backup on the wing. How does Rice kind of impact that? Um, I I think a lot of that depends on what it looks like. Again, I mentioned what what Tech looked like and how Tech did not play well in those final like minute or minute and a half when Katorn and Padula were off the floor against Old Dominion. What's it going to look like if? Mike tries to take Couture and Padula off the floor and leave Rice on. Yeah. You know, I think it's a lot about who can run the offense, and it was very stagnant. Um, I don't know if a whole lot will change, Carter. I, I think, I think like the backcourt and the front quarter, they're two separate things. Like we know Mutz and Basili, and now Poteet are all kind of going to intertwine, and I think we're going to see Kid play some more. 
a little bit um, against teams that can go bigger. Um, I think the minutes will kind of like shrink here or there because, again, they're not going to rush Rodney Rice back either. It's going to be like Rice might play eight minutes. You know? And he's also, I think there's this perception among some fans that Rice is going to be some sort of savior. Um, he'll, he'll add depth, but remember, he's a freshman. And I think Padula's a good ball player. Maddox, Maddox is a good ball player. Mm-hmm. They didn't really get significant playing time until about halfway through their freshman year. And these are guys who were healthy all fall and into the winter, yeah. which Rice has not been. Remember, he hasn't been practicing. Either. Yeah, I and I think, no, I mean, I'm sure he's practicing now, but there, he missed a significant portion. Yes, of I mean, you remember when we? This was like mid October when yeah. we we observed practice, and Rodney Rice is over there on on the, bike. the machine, yeah. yeah, on the bike, and not practicing. So, I, I'm I'm interested to see. We've seen that it takes a lot, and it takes a little bit of time for Mike Young to trust his freshmen. To trust and, and his young guys. it typically goes back to the defense. Does he trust you on yes. defense? And and we've seen he trusts Collins defensively. Um, I, I I was actually surprised how well Collins has been defensively okay. because it's not like I, I think one of the the biggest things is especially against a team like College of Charleston where their offense is a lot of screens and screens and screens and screens and you're chasing guys around screens all the time. Collins was fine. There were actually some other times where, like I noticed once or twice. Maybe not against College Charleston, but just in the tournament where a guy like Padula or a guy like Maddox came off late. And I don't think I ever really saw that with Collins. So, you know, what? how does Rice pick it up on the defensive end when he does play? Um, I, I don't think the offensive end will, will take a lot. I think maybe just the communication aspect of it, right. being in the right spot. Um, but, yeah, playing defense at, at this level is going to be the transition. Well, up next is College or Charleston Southern. Like <laughs> I keep you said. doing that too. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't lose to back-to-back Charleston teams they in get one to, week. They get revenge on. Are, are they from Charleston, South Carolina, or Charleston, West Virginia? I actually don't know. They're South, South Carolina. Charleston, South Carolina. Southern, so it's got to be South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully um, they win that game, and they're not just looking ahead to the Big Ten Challenge, which is on Monday against Minnesota. Excited for that one as well. Before we get out of here, let's take a couple questions from the chat. Carter, what you got? I actually have a lot of questions in oh, the chat goodness. today. But so let's try to be an- brief. Yes, yeah. we, we answered a good chunk of them, or you all did. But I want to I want to ask a few. The first one is, let's see here as I'm scrolling through. CD asks, I understand not playing the UVA game, of course, but can you discuss the repercussions of not playing the game from a practice time, senior day, financial recruiting and prize tenure standpoint. All right. So uh, what what was the first one? Well, I was going to say, let's start on senior day because I have heard that there are talks in the works. They're going to do something on the the guys at a men's basketball game at at like halftime. I certainly hope so. That's what what they're going to do. If you want to pick a player, it's just tragic that Dax did not get to go through his. I know, a fan favorite for sure. So they're going to do something for one of the basketball games in December, I believe, is when they're going to do senior day. So that answers that question. So what were some of the other aspects, Carter? Let's see. I'm scrolling back up here. So the other one recruiting, were Brent recruiting, Price tenure, Brent Price financial. tenure, financial. Let's do financial first. Um, Virginia Tech nets about two million per home game, mm-hmm. um, and this is from someone familiar with Hokie Club and athletic department workings. There's a certain amount of money they bring in. There's a certain amount of expenses. It's roughly three million in revenue and a million in expenses. So they net two million dollars per game. So Virginia Tech has lost. 
in theory, $2 million by not playing this game. Now, it remains to be seen if the Tech Athletic Department is going to offer refunds for tickets or what. Yeah, they said in the in the coming days, more information in the coming days right. on tickets. My my understanding is they will offer refunds. Which I will not take them up on, uh, you know, keep the money. Um, but I'm not everybody. Uh, so one of the things I had hoped is that the ACC would take a hand in this. And I don't know how likely this is, but that the ACC would say, we've got two member schools that because of this unique tragic event aren't playing a game. It's going to cost the host school $2 million. And, and you go to the league and you ask the other 14 teams in the league, including Notre Dame, do you mind or would you agree to us compensating Virginia Tech for lost revenue if you divide two million amongst, you know, fourteen teams, that's uh, you know, I don't know, one hundred and thirty, hundred and forty thousand. I'd have to do the math on it. For athletic departments to make a hundred to one hundred and fifty million, it's not a lot of money, and that's easy for me to say. I know that's several people's jobs, but this is also at a time where where ACC network revenue is growing mm-hmm. by literally millions a year. Would it kill you in this unique circumstance to? take a share from each team and compensate Virginia Tech. Uh, I'm not saying that's likely to happen, and I don't know that it's, yeah, it's even it's, legally that's possible. A unique, that's a unique possibility. Yeah. I didn't even think And we're not even that. talking about the fact that UVA lost a home game. It's a home game against Coast, Coastal Carolina. Correct. Right? That was their senior day. So it's not just Tech not getting able to do a game. So that's the financial part of it. The recruiting part of it is that uh, Brent Pry talked about this. Ordinarily, when you play UVA – this coming Saturday, then what is it, David? You get like four days where they can meet with their current players and talk about the future. Yeah, there's the window. So there's, now there's that window, management yeah. Window. So now I think it just kind of moves up roster management. Like yeah. your roster management starts now, like today. Yeah, you know, and that stinks. Like obviously, guys like Dax Hollyfield and Taiwan Garbutt, they're going to have a senior day ceremony at some point, but. Guys can enter the portal. Like yeah. I would not be shocked to see guys enter the portal starting this week. Yeah. That just, uh, or maybe maybe starting next week after the regular season ends, just period, and they get to talk to their families over Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, so, I th- so I think it's a plus from a roster management standpoint. I wouldn't say it affects recruiting. I mean, recruiting is yeah. What no, it is I don't. I don't point. think it really impacts recruiting. Yeah. Um, what else? So let's see. You're talking about from that question specifically? Yes. Practice time, I think. Yeah, I think Practice you touched time. on everything for the most uh, part. So, you know, somebody had a really a really good comment on the message board, I think it was, that that at this point, I don't think Virginia Tech's team is really going to change much with more practice. Yeah. Would, I think it would benefit the younger guys to get more practice, but that's I a guess. Um, uh, but, but really the roster manager, it, I'm, I'm probably speaking for myself here. It's time to put that season behind us and yeah. move on, whether you're talking practices or games or what. Um, they are what they are at this point, and it's more important that the coaches get to the hard work of all the work they have to do in the offseason, figuring out the coaching issues, figuring out the roster stuff. Yeah. So that's my take on that. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, you lose, I guess, a week in theory of practice. You lose Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday practices, I guess. So you lose three, essentially three days of practice yeah. because they're not really going hard on Friday and it's a walkthrough on Saturday. So now because you're not going to a bowl, you lose 15 other. The, yes, that's a, but that's a completely different discussion. Yeah. yeah, it has nothing to do with the game. 
Multiple people are wanting to know if Tech will pick up another game this week. The answer to that is no. no. But multiple other people are also asking, what are the chances that the Tech UVA game is played in Lane Stadium next year? No. No. It's not I mean, I mean, the schedules are set. It, it would... I'd have to go look at the model, but it would shift the home and away balance, and it's... Yeah, I mean, and again, like I tweeted this last night, it, dude, I, I mean, I, again, everybody in this room graduated or is going to graduate from Virginia Tech. Uh, you a lot, long time ago, more than us, but like I, gra- I graduated in 2021, and because of COVID, I only got to see Tech and UVA play in lane once with a crowd i worked the 2020 game i was there during covid as media yeah but like carter and nick have you guys ever i don't think you guys have ever seen not as a student yeah as a student you guys have never seen virginia and virginia tech play in lane stadium as a student katie hasn't either yeah so that just stinks from like the class of 2023 and 2024 those two classes will never get to see Virginia and Virginia Tech play in Lane Stadium as students. It's so like what happened in the 2018 game? Was that the one? That was the Bryce Perkins Matua, fumble. Yeah, Matua Poaka recovered the fumble. And that was the 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 biggest the Trey Turner. It was the scared Emmanuel money don't, That was the scared money don't make money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's and it's Great crazy stuff, that, that there will be six years from 2018 to 2024, the next time Virginia and Virginia Tech play in Lane Stadium in front of Packed House. But again, to the question. It just you you can't change it like that. And again, it will. Uh, my understanding. I mentioned this to you when we were coming back from break. Financial wise, like Tech has insurance. Whether or not insurance covers something like this, like usually it's quote unquote an act of God, like an a, a hurricane, hurricane, like yeah. the ECU game a couple of years ago. Whether or not it covers something like this, I don't know, but. You can't just take one of UVA's home games. That's yeah. just not how it works. There's a couple more. I'll just ask one more just for time purposes. And I, I'll ask this one just because there was a lot of discussion about Grant Wells earlier. But Andrew McClung wants to know, with Jason Brown possibly staying next season for a potential seventh year, mm-hmm. could you expect him to play at all next season? Jason Brown. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess it kind of depends on... And what do you, what, what do you think the chances are he'll portal. get the waiver to stay a seventh year? Pry, yeah, so I, I don't know if you guys mentioned this on the podcast. Um, we asked Pry on Wednesday after practice last week about, because Jason Brown tweeted something, and Pry said that he, along with him not being able to play during COVID because he was at an FCS school that didn't play, he like he to- he hurt something he tore his ACL tore his AC- yeah okay I didn't want to speak out of turn but yes tore his ACL so I think there's a good chance he gets a medical waiver in that case that that's you know then you've got Wells and and Brown again for another year and again you take a look at that quarterback depth chart in that quarterback room you've got Bullock and Farrell behind them you know if so I think that's a, another discussion but yeah I think that's very interesting it was it was pretty unique this year that uh, did Grant Wells miss a single play, like no injuries, right? Uh, he had to helmet came off. Now that the season's over, we can say, "Hey, Grant Wells didn't get hurt all year." He yeah. didn't. <laughs> you don't um, say that stuff until the season's over. There was a one play in one uh, yeah, game speak where for Tennessee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man, now I have to go to a big time bowl game with the guy who hasn't played all year. Poor, so yeah, yeah. poor Hendon Hooker. Yeah. Man. Um, but yeah, I I think he had his helmet come off like once, and Jason Brown had to come into a game. It was at home. Yeah, it right. was Georgia Tech. Yeah, yeah. And Brown came in and completed a pass, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you, Carter. This is the time where I usually ask what's coming up on Tech Sideline, but no football game this Thanksgiving. week. Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Happy uh, Chris will have an inside the numbers. I think I'm kind of just going to relax a little bit. Um, basketball <laughs> coverage you, Friday. Bas- yeah, I will be at basketball on Friday. Yeah. Um, tech host Charleston Southern. Um, the women's basketball team beat Kentucky beat yesterday. Kentucky yesterday, eight reigning SEC champions. Um, they play at 1.30 tomorrow against Missouri in the Bahamas, and then they'll be back. And then, um, so, and then like next week, big basketball week with Minnesota, Big Ten ACC Challenge, or AC Big Ten Challenge, however you want to put it. I think it's ACC this year first. On Monday, um, that'll be a big game. North Carolina at home that Sunday. The women have a couple big games too. So, um, football's finally over and, and Jack Brisen nine had a wrestling story yep. this morning. So wrestling performed pretty well this weekend in Philadelphia at, uh, the key keystone 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 classic. Yeah. Um, so I haven't talked about subscriptions in a long time. So, uh, there some really interesting stuff about Monsoor Delane and, and articles that Chris has put out this week. So subscriptions are, if you sign up for a monthly subscription, first month is free, try it out. If you're not interested, which is just, that's not going to happen. You're going to be interested. You can cancel uh, before the end of the first month. And for students, student subscriptions are free. So, you know, if you're a student listening, sign up for a subscription. Uh, you know, you sit here and you listen to us on the podcast, and we got a whole nother thing we do that's really interesting. So uh, visit the website, techsideline.com, and sign up for a subscription and check it out. Well, another great episode of the Tech Sideline podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in and thank everybody on set today. Will Stewart, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline. He's at Will Stewart CSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. He was on in the first half. He is now at the gym. You can follow him at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. David Cunningham, he's at The Real D Cunna. Carter Hill in the fourth chair, he's at CB Hill underscore three. Nick Brown producing. Thank you, Nick. And I'm Katie Adams signing off from all of us here at Tech Sideline. Enjoy your week. Cookies fans.